everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Neil Anderson, and you're listening to Return to Real. I got a real treat for you today. I got a chef. Now, he's not just a normal chef. I have criteria for choosing my chefs. The criteria goes like this. A, my chefs have to have a healthy appetite. I'd never trust an all-the-way skinny chef. This one's in shape, though. That's another one of my criteria. Two, my chefs have got to work out. And three, they got to have a little bit of life experience because, I mean, you can be a chef, but I need you to be a chef. There's a reason we all loved Anthony Bourdain. I want to introduce you to a guy, an interesting guy named Rob Walton. Chef Rob, welcome to the show. Neil, it's, it's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. I love that you're here. It's fun for me to, to talk food. We've been talking a lot of stuff. We had Rich Manning, Coach Rich Manning on last week, and he talked some life philosophy, and that that was something that really sort of struck me, and I loved it. And a lot of my conversations with you are the same way. Like, I love... Actually, this is a... Your your podcast is is becoming a pretty cool group of individuals. Right? You know, and John... some cool people. What an all-star. John Schmidt. I've been a fan of John's for a long time. And those young people with Rex Changer... Yeah. Tyler and Sam. Yeah. That was, it was fascinating. I know. Cool I know. I'm what an idea. Huh? In when, you know, at the start of this, because I don't think I'm going to be as interesting as I might be right now when you get some real heavy hitters in, in, in the list. I think you're a heavy hitter, Chef. Let's start Thanks. here. Let's start here. I've got a stepson. He's about 12 and he loves to cook. He loves it. Anytime the pans come out, anytime the macaroni comes out, anytime anything comes out, he's in there and he's all ears and he's really pretty gifted. Um, How did you get started? He's going to be listening to this show and he'll try to figure out how to do this kind of thing. Tell me your story. How'd you get started? Well, really, kind of just like your son, I've always loved to cook. Um, When my brothers and uh, my family were watching sports, I was watching PBS. This was... This was before Food Network. This was back when Julia Child was in black and white. See, I'm I'm 51, so, you know. Old. You're an old guy. I'm an old guy. Uh, I'm talking about 40, you know, 40 years ago when there wasn't Food Network. Julia Child was was on. uh, Fred Smith up in in Seattle. uh, A local guy named Fred Wicks. I don't know if any of your listeners, they, they might... Remember the Gabby Gourmet, uh, Fred. Oh, I remember the Gabby Gourmet. Gourmet. You bet I do. Yeah, these were these were my heroes. This is who I watched on television. And I was I was fascinated by it. And so um, I took uh, home ec (laughs) every year through middle school and high school on purpose. Oh, I loved it. It, it. you you got to make cookies and the class was full of cute girls. And yeah, I guess I missed that. I, I should have done that. You're right. That sounds like a hack that I missed. And then uh, and then I got to go live in Europe for a while. And um, how how did you get to go to Europe? I, I served an LDS mission uh, as a missionary in France, Belgium, and Luxembourg. Hmm. And uh, I figured I hate all that food. Yeah. <laughs> I think no, I'm kidding. Really how how French people didn't necessarily want to talk about religion, but they would certainly talk about French culture. And at the apex of French culture is is food. 
And so you could always talk food with them and they would have you in their kitchen and they would, you know, so I tell people all the time that, that I was taught by the best chefs in the world, the mothers of France. Wow. Right. Like it's so romanticized. French cooking is so romanticized. I read Anthony Bourdain's book um, years ago that kitchen confidential, I think was the name of it. And everything is French. He loves everything French and the way he makes the food sound is so eloquent and it makes you feel like you're behind if you're not eating French food. But then I go to eat it and I don't like, I don't like all of it. Like yep. it's really fatty and a lot of protein and all of this great stuff that I've come to learn. But you know what the, the difference is when they sit down to a dinner, which may be full of fat and cream and wonderful ingredients, it takes them three hours. Yeah. Even a, a, a nightly dinner that's just a regular dinner will take a, a, a whole lot more time than the typical American dinner. We yeah. and we shouldn't. Yeah, we, we gobble. We just shove it down. So you were over there and you learned at the, the feet of French cookers. Yeah. Keep describing your journey. What, what else did you... Well, uh, I, I love that your son loves to cook because cooking is this great blend of art and science and love and nourishment and caring for people. And it's just, it's fantastic. It's, it's how I met and married my wife. I wasn't a jock, uh, but I was, I was funny and I could cook and I was entertaining and she thought I was adorable. And so I married myself an athlete. She was, um, she came from an athletic family. Her, her dad, uh, ever since I've known him, has been one of the top principals of the United States Golf Association. So I married in this family of, of distance runners and uh, sports-related people. And it, it was... I married the girl of my dreams and we, I took a job. My first job that I took was out in Ohio and I, I, I took her out there and, and uh, we started our family. We had three of our children out there and 10 years into our marriage, Hillary was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And it was pretty devastating, Neil. It, uh, you know, you you hear all about the fact that the MS is going to rob you of your abilities, your mobility, uh, everything. And and um, we were told two things by her her primary doctor, which it was amazing that we were out there. I think we were out there because of of the MS. Providence works in our lives in mysterious ways, interesting ways, and. We were, we were, she was diagnosed by the director of the Mellon Center for MS at the Cleveland Clinic. This is tip of the sword guy. And he, he was able to get her involved in studies and get her medication that was cutting edge. And, and, and so it, there's no typical path with MS, but, um, Hers remained pretty quiet. She was able to continue to work out and run and and 
enjoy her life for about 10 years until it turned into a primary progressive from relapsing remitting into primary progressive. And hey, let's, let's go back just a little bit. I love Hillary and I love talking about her story. Um, so she's got such a positive attitude and I, I don't really understand. She's had this for quite a while. Oh yeah. 20, 21, 22 years now. So multiple sclerosis for those that don't completely understand as I mostly don't. Um, I just have a, a, a very shallow overview of what it is, but the way it's I understand auto, it, it's an autoimmune disorder. Your body um, thinks that its own systems, the myelin sheath that surrounds your, your central nervous system is the enemy and it attacks it. It eats holes in it um, and the nerves that are behind that myelin sheath then die. And so you have multiple sclerosis means multiple scarring. And that's all it is, is you have these, you have an overactive immune system that thinks its own body is the enemy. And so it eats holes in the, in the insulation of the wiring and those areas die. Hillary, um, at last count, uh, I mean, she's got 51 individual sites of brain and spinal cord nervous, uh, nervous system damage. It's, It's just devastating. And when it hits the stage, the way I understand it, when it hits the stage of primary progressive, we're in real trouble. We're in real trouble. And, uh, we were, uh, we had, I worked for 13 years. We had three of our children in Ohio. We, we then moved to, um, Colorado and, to another great doctor. Uh, we wanted to be closer to family. Her family was there. Uh, m- many members of my family were there. I had to adjust what I, st- what I was doing. Um, so we, we went to a level of, of caring for her that was a lot less about what I was doing and more about really just kind of taking care of her. And that progressed uh, several years to the point where she ended up pretty full time in a wheelchair in about uh, 2012-2014, and we decided to move to Utah because there was a doctor here doing things that nobody else was doing. I, I need to back up a, a second and and tell you at this point that. My background in, in food became really pretty important to us. I started doing all the research that I could on how to feed her the best way we could. And to somebody with multiple sclerosis, well, to all of us, really, inflammation is, is the enemy. We talked about this last night in one of your seminars. Inflammation is the enemy. And we can cause inflammation a number of different ways by eating poor food, a poor diet on a repetitive, prolonged basis, um, injury through uh, incorrect workout or too forced of a workout, or 
you know all the ways that stress, not sleeping, all yeah. of the the different types of things that can cause inflammation. We were talking about that last night. One of the things I don't think people realize, especially in this day and age, with the popularity of high intensity exercise, is soreness, especially for old guys like Gus. Soreness is the enemy. And even biceps curls will affect you in a lot of different ways. It's not just bicep soreness at fifty. Not anymore. Now my bicep soreness is systemic. That's so soreness is systemic, right? And yeah. systemic inflammation causes bad things. It increases well, and your recovery is is prolonged and your yeah. so, increases arthritis. It increases yeah. brain fog. There's so many detrimental things that happen in the presence of inflammation. And then if you've got a thing as ravaging as multiple sclerosis, what do you do? Well, you, you, you fight every way you can. She, she continues to work out any way she can every single day. Um, I think that she is in the position that she is, meaning that it hasn't taken every single ability of hers um, because she entered in as a really, really fit person. Oh. And she has continued to work out and exercise any way she can for these 20 years. And I have tried to feed her the best food that I could and the most inflammation counteracting food that I can feed her. Anti-inflammatory. That would help for her. Oh, uh, incredibly. Well, let's talk about that because there are a lot of there are a lot of opinions on this matter. What is good food, chef? What is uh, good food to you? Whole food, real food. Um, you go to the grocery store and you you shop around the outside. You never go down the middle. You never go down the cereal aisle and the cookie and chips aisle and the and the canned soup aisle. And, you know, I don't have a problem with any of this stuff, but if you can shop the produce section, the, the butcher, the, the dairy, the, you know, where, what you buy is, is what you make your food out of. You buy ingredients and you, you assemble your food, you cook. It's, it's so important to, um, you need to eat colors. You, you need to have as broad a range of colors in your produce that you possibly can. Antioxidants, which are one of the biggest inflammation fighters, are found in deep, dark colors. Berries and um, uh, green leafy. Uh, you know, you're, you're just you're amazing, vibrant, dark colored food. Right, not just whites. Plenty of it. Yeah, plenty of it. I love that thought. And you and I have talked a lot about this. I, it's interesting because I'm in a position as a trainer where people are always asking me nutrition advice. I have three recommendations. That's all I ever have had. And everybody's so very disappointed in that. You know, my whole thing is kind of know where your calories need to be, understand how food, how you'll react on certain foods. Right. It's the it's a fancy way of saying know your macros. Right. Know how your body reacts to food. Understand that your body might not like the Mediterranean diet. It might not be for you. You can't just put paint one 
style or one size fits all on food. Yeah. Maybe you're more protein, maybe you're more vegetables, but you need to know. And then lastly, my other suggestion is always just eat real food. Eat it. Yeah, the way nothing it from a box, there. nothing processed. Right. I have a little, the deadly whites are refined sugar, refined flour, and uh, milk. I, I think that if we can completely cut out refined flour and sugar, we would be ahead of the game in a lot of ways. Um, dairy, you're going to have to judge for yourself. You're going to have there. There certainly is such a thing as as too much dairy, but but that's you know. I'll tell you the way Dad did it. When I was nine years old, Dad went out and bought a a, a Jersey cow. And that little Jersey cow came in. They're little. They're not like these big five-gallon-a-day types of cows. These little one-gallon-a-day. But that little, we'd milk her twice a day. And we had to go out every morning, take the bucket. And while my brothers were doing chores, they were feeding water and chickens and pigs and all the different animals, I was out milking a cow. That was my job every morning, right? And we milked her by hand. We brought it in. And I had never even heard of pasteurization. Didn't know what it was. I was in college, before I figured that out. But at my house, we had eight kids, well, seven, and we adopted one later, eight kids, and we were always out of milk. We lived on this stuff, and it was two gallons a day, and I never saw one go off, ever. <laughs> so I love milk, but I think there's something to be said about live milk, organic milk, and it's not super popular. It's a little controversial, but for now, me... Now, live food altogether is, is another, I mean... If you want to study something amazing, study your gut biome. Study your 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 intake of living foods. Um, live and active cultures in yogurt, um, blue cheeses, uh, sauerkraut, uh, salamis—different things that have. Uh, live and living sourdough you know how much i love i love sourdough it's living food is an amazing amazing thing and it is amazing for hillary i uh you know i i go back to the fact that a lot of a lot of what i have become as a chef was due to the fact that i was trying to help the person that i love the most in this whole world and that is her I never intended this to turn into a business at all. Yeah. Well, we haven't even gotten there yet. Chef. It's interesting like, that it did. Yeah, it, it really is. I, um, so I, I became kind of Mr. Mom about five or six years ago, seven years ago, and was really kind of just trying to take care of her the best way I could. And she came to me shortly thereafter and she says, I love you but I don't need all of your time. You're kind of driving me a little nuts. Again, I love you, but <laughs> we need to figure out something for you to do that you have complete control over. You have the ability to uh, accept or reject, say when and where and how and why and everything. So I became a private chef for people. And that's where this this started about Seven or eight years ago, upon the recommendation of a sweet but annoyed uh, spouse of mine. And ahead of her time with this whole coronavirus, because there won't be a soul listening to this that isn't going to be able to identify with her right oh, now. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. It's, 
It was so adorable. And, and Neil, um, I, I don't know what your listeners are going to call it in their lives, but um, Providence, uh, heaven, heaven blessing me. Um, however you want to talk about that, I have been the recipient. I think Hillary has a bat line to heaven. Anything that she asks for, she gets. And it's just, it's amazing how things work out for us toward her benefit and completely different than what we thought are, are, if you had asked me when I was working logistics in Ohio or uh, private real estate lending in Colorado, if I would be a chef uh, 10 years from then, um, or, or that my wife would be in a situation where we were fighting for uh, her life, literally, um, you know, nobody can, nobody can guess what's that little, you know, man plans and God laughs. I, I think if we approach our life with, I'm going to take whatever hand is dealt me and play it the best way that I can. Um, putting all that I can into it and receiving any of heaven's help. That's, that's how we're going to make this. And so um, I started, I started cooking for people and I, within two years of that, which would have been about six years ago, I was actually voted private chef of the year for Utah Inside. How do you even get into the private chef business? Like how, how's that I mean, Providence just, it happened. No, exa- you're exactly right. How did that happen? We, it was just a conversation one day that Hillary and I had, because a lot of people were, were reaching out to me to say, you know, they, they had either, uh, I had cooked for them. I, I really am a pretty good cook. I'm a really great chef. And anytime somebody eats my food, they're going to want to eat it again. And so that's kind of how that started. And I watched that in person, Jeff. Recently, you started this YouTube channel, which I'm a fan of. I subscribe to it. <laughs> and by the way, I can't believe how much it's grown in a few weeks. In a few it weeks. Is, it is grown. a fun, quarantine, creative outlet. And I enjoy the fact that you are all enjoying it. I love it. And I, every time you come out with a recipe, I drop it on my website and out to my social media following, which is not quite what yours is going to be. Because I can tell you this, anybody that ever hears you've got food in your local area, and now you've kind of moved away from that local area and people are, I watch your newsfeed. People are like, Hey, uh, would it be okay? And I'm just asking. So, you know, you can always say no here, but what would you think if I came over and got a couple of those from you? Like you'll make those, those cool. What was it the other day? I'm looking at it right now. You have this deep dish pizza one. Oh, it was the biscuits. I remember it was the biscuits. You've got these, um, Buttery, yeah, flaky, simple, simple, straightforward food. Need- people in your neighborhood. Oh, good. Yes. People in your neighborhood were like, hey, uh, what would you think about? And you can always say no. But if I came over and grabbed a couple of those, what are you? Are you making extra? <laughs> I was like, that's a guy that can cook right there. Who asks yeah. for biscuits? Yeah. Who just asks yeah. for biscuits. It's simple stuff done well. 
And and so Neil, that's that's how this all started. Is I started cooking for people, and they liked it. They told their friends, and I got busy. You know, I was cooking for families visiting these multi-million dollar homes up in Deer Valley and Park City, and and um, it was fun. I I I would only work about four or five times a month, uh, once or twice a week, and. And and that was that was enough. It was it was an it was enough to get me uh, out of out of Hillary's way a little bit, and <laughs> uh, you know just have some fun. And 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 like I said, I, I I got voted private chef of the year by my clients. And wouldn't you know, one of the player development people from the Los Angeles Dodgers was visiting a a home up in Deer Valley with his family and saw the article. And they just happened to be looking for a chef, a good and creative chef here in Utah for their low A uh, rookie club, the Ogden Raptors. And I got a call from the player development um, team from the from the Dodgers and it was it it blew my socks off it was it was so incredible to get that call well and that's turned into quite a bit more stuff I want to talk about that plus I have these questions to ask you when you feed your people when you go and do a personal chef gig or when you're feeding your players who I know you care very much about, and it's not just players in one organization, um, what's your personal philosophy in feeding them? Because every chef will have his own or her own personal philosophy. What makes you tick? What are you trying to put in their bellies and why? Can we talk to you about that after the break? Sure. All right. Chef Rob Walden, you can find his stuff on YouTube at uh, Chef Rob as as easy as it is. He makes great recipes. I made him actually put his face on it after the first one, and I'm going to take a little bit of credit for his success. Folks, you're listening to Return to Real right here on KSL. Welcome back to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson out here today with Chef Rob. YouTube, just go YouTube this guy. Chef Rob, he's got a few recipes up. Let me read some of those to you. You got hash potatoes, sweet potato, red and green bell peppers. Mm. World's best French onion soup dip or French onion dip, not soup dip. Biscuits, buttery, flaky, warm biscuits with what? A country gravy in that? Is that the rest of that title? Yep. Country sausage gravy. Or butter and strawberry jam. Jeez. Now listen, this is my kind of eating. This is the kind of eating that I did when I grew up. And it's interesting because it took a bad rap in my in, in my opinion. That kind of eating. If you say buttery in, in my world, in the personal training world, dude, you have just created one of the cardinal sins. You've committed one of them. And no, I'm so, I'm so glad people are figuring out about hydrogenated fats and what a fallacy uh, that low fat fats or hydrogenated fats or fake food is. It's horrible stuff. 
you need to eat real food and you need to eat things that you know you should eat in moderation in moderation but you should eat real food yeah not all sugar not all processed food sausage throw it down you've got to eat sausage but when you when you cook use butter use um you don't need to use refined white sugar use maple syrup honey agave brown sugar real cane sugar um use sugar just you know stay remain in control of, was, of the stuff that's at the top of the pyramid i was surprised when i went to europe the first time i went to europe because they're eating over there is so flavorful i went to greece and they had bread they served bread with and it was a different bread than i had ever eaten the breads that i eat are typical american americans have two things that we that we can taste we can taste sweet and we can taste salty and plenty of both please Right. But you go over there and their bread isn't quite as sweet. And then there's this this little waft of flavor. Yeah, it's a it's a a flat bread that's been baked on a on a a stone fired hearth and it's got rosemary and olive oil and sea salt. And yes, rosemary, that had to be it, because there was this waft of flavor that came over my tongue that I was like, this is unfamiliar. And they probably served at the table with a little bowl of olive oil and some balsamic vinegar and you dipped it in and you ate and you talked and you you visited and you laughed. For hours, chef. Yeah, for hours. For hours. We sat at that you... table. We went to a guy's house. I didn't know it was a restaurant. I thought it was his house. You walk in and he hugs you and he kisses you and he's like, welcomes you and he sits you down at this table that looks like it's his table. And you sit yeah. down with all your friends and they, they start bringing little tiny bits of food out and you're like well when do we order and the guy's laughing at me the greek guy's like what do you what do you mean order what do you mean order we're here to eat he's like yeah i want to pick he's like oh 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 that's right yeah you probably ate uh cheese from his from his goat and olive the olive trees were out back his, yeah from his olive orchard and yeah. uh you know real food and he served it. He didn't ask you what you were going to eat. He didn't, he didn't ask you what you wanted to eat. He served you the food that he was making. And it was, it was a flavorful, delightsome thing I had never experienced. And it was too much. It was too much. Like, he brought out a real live olive. I had never eaten anything but one of these black American things that comes out of a can. <laughs> and it made my eyes water. And my sinuses were, like, swollen. Like, it was weird. <laughs> It was this huge experience, and I'm shoved. The, the Greeks were laughing at me. I am shoving it in my mouth because that's how we eat, right? Neil, I'm so Stop. glad that you got some of the experience to grow up on a farm and then to travel the world. Those are gifts that m- made you who you are. Whatever that is, but I can tell you that they eat over there so very differently. And I get the feeling, and I got to tell you, I can remember just back in the very recesses and corners of my mind, I remember that this is how we ate. When I was growing up, we ate every single meal around a table that was, I would say, lovingly prepared for us for that specific moment. Much of our flour was made up. I had milked the cow. The butter we had on the table was stuff that we did on a Sunday watching Disney Right. The eggs you gathered that day and the yolks were about as orange as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a I don't know. Chef, I forgot. 
I forgot. It's not yellow. This lady handed us some eggs the other day, and we brought them home. She's like, what do you think about those yolks? I'm like, what are you talking about yolks? She goes, what did you think about those orange yolks? And then Lindsay made some stuff. She cracked them open, and they were like balls of sunshine. They were so dark and rosy and and like just almost orangish red. And then maybe another oleic acid. That's what real food is, is it's these amazing, complex uh, building blocks of DNA. Right. That's, I've never heard it said like that. You're right. You're right. And we all have this feeling that food should be something, at least I do. And this is, this is how I feel as an American male who, um, after I got off the farm, a meal consisted of chocolate milk that I bought at the Seven Eleven, and you know those little powdery donuts with red stuff in the middle, <laughs> little donuts. <laughs> yeah, oh man, that that was my. It was all sweet and salty. That's all I ever ate. Deal. I know. Just talking about amazing things. Now we're talking about Fritos. <laughs> yeah, Doritos and crap. Literally crap that you you shouldn't put in your mouth. All right, now before so we you want to break, know, my my interview with the Dodgers went something like this. Tell us what you would feed a professional athlete, and it really was along the lines of the conversation that we just had. I would feed them whole foods. I would feed them ingredients that that you have to assemble and you have to assemble in the right combinations and ratios and order and you make food. And I think some of the best food in the world is made by uh, peasants and, and farmers and, and poor people because what they have is what is all that they, they don't have the best cuts of meat. They don't have, uh, they, they, they buy things and they, use a whole lot of, of skill and technique to make the best food out of it that they can. I talked to them about um, all that I had learned in feeding Hillary the best food that I could about food that is counteracts inflammation and nourishes. And um, that's really all it took, Neil. I, they, they said, would you be willing to help us develop this program and implement it to our team in Utah. And I said, absolutely. If you'll allow me to do it the right way. And they said, well, what does that mean? I said, we can't cater in food dies as it ages and it ages by the minute. So what they, what they had intended to do was allow Chefs that owned their own restaurants or people that had access to offsite kitchens to cook for their players and bring the food in at predetermined times. And I said, that's not going to work. What I intend to do for you guys is I'm going to build a mobile kitchen so that I can, I can have a kitchen wherever the players are. And it'll be mobile. So when they go on the road, so do I. And um, you know that little saying, make yourself at home? Yeah. That's kind of the nature behind the way I cook. I am going to make myself at home and provide a home environment for these players anywhere they are. And it really is. It's, it's, it's amazing that this has become kind of a secret weapon that – when these players pull into a stadium that's in another city 
and I'm already there cooking their food, it's a little less like they're away. It's a little more like home. Oh, amazing thing. Right. That would help you play because one less obstacle is one less obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I, I have taught my kids a principle that I want them to live their life by. You need to be the right person in the right place at the right time. And in regards to being a chef for a professional baseball team, that's all I was, Neil, is I was the right person at the right place at the right time for them to find me and for me to go to work for them and show them that in comparison with the other ways that they intended or thought about implementing this program for other teams, that mine was the best way. I had the right mix of food science, food art, and food business, meaning I knew what to cook for them. I knew how to cook for them. And I knew the way that it would be best to cook for them, meaning um, never travel with their food. I, I always have my kitchen right there. So as they're playing a game, I cook three meals a day for them. Uh, when they, uh, and this, this may be a little bit more information than you want, but a, a, a professional baseball player lives kind of a vampire lifestyle. He wakes up at about 9 a.m. and goes to the gym and works out for about three hours. Then he comes to the field and I feed him the first meal of the day. A big, hearty, well-balanced, freshly made, right out of the oven lunch. And then they go, after that, they go out for batting practice for about three hours. And then they come in for a pregame. And that uh, pregame meal consists of uh, quick recovery um, quick energy, easy to absorb proteins, fruits. Um, for a team of 35 players, I will make about five gallons of, of, of protein smoothie. Uh, I'll make like 200 scrambled eggs with about two or three pounds of bacon in it and two or three pounds of cheese. And they, they, eat it they eat it all they it's amazing what they eat and then they go back chef i need to know what you put in that protein smoothie what what's your protein smoothie um well tell me about your protein smoothie everybody's asking right now because again these are these are professional athletes so i've got to be very very careful about the protein that i serve them it's got to be banned substance free first of all Mm. i can't have anything tripping any kind of a a, a, a drug test with these athletes and they're tested weekly. Every one of them are tested weekly. So I've got to be very careful that I buy the absolute best protein that I can. And I've actually found um, that a company, a smaller company called garden of life um, makes an incredible protein, both a whey, an animal based protein, a whey protein and a, um, a vegetable based protein, which coincidentally has more protein to the volume uh, than the whey protein does. It's, it's more protein packed than the animal source protein. And it's amazing. Hmm. So I will, I will buy um, ch- 
chocolate and vanilla, and then every day I will make something different. So I will make, um, I have had a lot of fun developing. So I'll make Almond Joy one day, which is chocolate protein with with coconut milk and cream of coconut and uh, shaved coconut in it and almond butter that I mix in with it. And then, yeah, you got to have those medium train chain triglycerides. They're yeah, all the range, yeah. right? And well, it, I'll, I'll pre-make all of the, uh, all of the smoothie and then I'll bring it into the clubhouse and I'll have bananas and berries and flaxseed and, and uh, nut butters and all of this stuff that they can tell me, Hey, I want some of this and some of this and some of this and some of this because they're all about gains. They are they are machines and they know how their body runs, so they know what they like and and they'll they'll ask me for it and I have a blast. So I I make a, a I make an orange creamsicle out of vanilla protein and and uh, mandarin oranges and uh, different things that I throw in there, and I'll make a. Um, an Elvis, we call it. It's it's uh, it's bananas and peanut butter and chocolate smoothie, and you just you're kind of inventing fun ways to get your protein in, and um, so that's what that's what the pregame meal is, and then I go about cooking their dinner as they go out on the field and play a game because I want to. A, a baseball game is a funny thing. It can exist anywhere from two hours to five or six hours. And you never know what you're going to get. On average, a baseball game is three hours and 10 minutes. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's an hour and about five minutes per every three innings. And, and we have gotten very good at timing our dinner so that we are finished with their dinner and it's coming out of ovens as they're coming off of the field. And that alone was one of the biggest reasons that I went from doing all the cooking for one team to now handling all of their minor league teams. And that's amazing. You know, there are some parallels here because here's what's going to happen. We're going to have somebody maybe listen to this and they'll think to themselves, well, that's all fine and good for the average athlete. These highly elite specialized tools. I'm not any of that stuff. Therefore, this none of this information applies to me. And I want to say out loud, I heartily disagree with that. Oh, it absolutely does apply. A team is a family. And I'm going to tell you... One of the most magical things that I have figured out in the six years that I've been doing this is the fact that food as fuel is only half the story, maybe even less than half the story. And what I'm going to tell you next applies to a baseball team or a family the same, because I'm trying to make a family out of a baseball team. Uh, Because the, the thing that we have figured out is that food, when prepared well and shared, is as much, uh, it is an, uh, a morale-boosting, endorphin and dopamine-releasing, love-enhancing, neuro-boosting activity. And I can promise you that that... The food that I feed my players, 
midday pregame um, allows them to go out for batting practice and not only have the fuel for that, but be able to listen to their coaches, hear and absorb the information that they're getting. And then when they're on the field, they've had a pregame meal and they know that a great postgame meal is coming. So that morale is up and they have better recall. And I will actually tell my players, I want you to take a look at the eyes of your competitors, of the other team, especially in, in the late innings. They will become glossy-eyed and focus-waning players where you guys are still sharp and ready to go. And when you need to recall that information, I am told that hitting a baseball may be the toughest thing in all of sports. You have a two and a half inch wide object traveling at a hundred miles an hour. And you have got to meet it with a bat and change its direction and velocity. And it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible feat. And it's, it's just an amazing thing. So in answer, this is a way convoluted <laughs> question about how this pertains to the individual and the family, but it totally does. I want to tell you that if you cook for your family, you will get them around the table better than, than something from a box or something from a, a, uh, a, 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 an order window at a fast food place or carry out or, or anything like that. When you, when you've cooked for them and those smells are in your home and you have taken the time and the effort to shop for good food and prepare it for your family, the conversations that are going to be had, the relationships that are going to be built, the love that is going to be grown around your table is going to be invaluable, indescribable, unparalleled. Is it safe to say, Chef, that the higher quality that experience is, the higher quality our relationships become? Oh, absolutely. I can tell you that the science that we're discovering right now is that a good meal, uh, I, I don't want to have the next thing I say sound salty or anything like that. It's a little bit PG rated, but your, your audience is, is, is going to handle it just fine. Well, because they listen to me. <laughs> right. A good meal releases as much endorphins and dopamine as making love to somebody special, as uh, a great workout, as taking a hike in, in the mountains, again, with somebody that you love, doing these things with people that you love. That's what matters. When we, when we get some of these chemicals released in our body, we have, we have long thought that they were only feel-good chemicals, when in reality, they are reward center chemicals. They, they open up neuropathways. They open up the ability to accept, absorb, and recall more information. And 
this is applicable to family relationships and dynamics as it is for a pers- professional sports team. Absolutely. That was, that was well and brilliantly said. I, I, I love your thoughts on that. I love. I hope so. Neil, there's such, there's such importance to eating together and eating well together. So what we're going to do here today is we're going to give permission. If you'll, if you permit it, give permission to eat well again, eat butter, eat fat, eat bacon. Eat oh, eggs. absolutely. Eat well, absolutely. And let's, let's talk about this in a way that will make sense to everybody listening to this thing. We've got Memorial day coming up here in a couple of days. Let's talk about what would be great for Memorial Day, because it's not, it's not a mystery. It's, it's not, uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some pearls of wisdom here. In regard- You're going to have to wait till next time, buddy. Like we have gone way over time on that. Oh no. <laughs> Listen, okay, let me, let me sum it up with you. The meat that you buy can't be lean. You've got to buy 80, 20 hamburger. It's got to have some fat in it. Fat is flavor. Fat is wonderful. Fat is good for you. Um, have an ice cold watermelon on on the table, all cut up. Um, have uh, do some brats. Uh, do. Will you do this for me? Fun with your next family. Time, next time you come back, will you describe, now that we've gotten to know you a little better, will you teach me how to make a great burger? Oh. A great burger. And then will you teach me how to make a great steak? And then will you teach me how to do fish? And then will you teach me how to do vegetables all out on the grill? Absolutely. I it, would love that. Grocery store and ends with, with love. See? Oh, what an inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chef. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Folks, you've been listening to Chef Rob Walton. You can find him on YouTube. Um, Just look up Chef Rob. You've been listening to him right here on the Return to Real podcast with Neil Anderson.